Welcome back to Not A Dollar More. My name is Shane Rogers. This is Australia's first podcast series dedicated to helping people who are wanting to stop or control their gambling. I've experienced a gambling addiction myself, so I know all about it. In this episode, we'll be hearing two inspiring stories of gambling addiction to recovery from two different types of gambling problems. One, Paul, who had massive losses on the horses, and Connie, who couldn't stop playing the pokies for many, many years. Despite their differences, they both experienced big losses to all aspects of their lives. But after years of persistence and help-seeking, they finally found their way out to the other side. So first up, we'll be chatting to Paul, who developed a serious gambling problem from a very early age. Welcome, Paul. Can you tell us how your gambling got started? It was at a very young age when I started gambling, probably six, seven or eight, playing cards with my cousins, you know, for five and ten cent pieces because it was just sort of the norm. You know, our parents were sort of playing mahjong and cards and we sort of saw them and just thought, well, they're doing it, so why can't we do it? So then to be a young adult gambling, how different was that to being a child gambling? Well, I can remember firstly my teenagers, I had a fake ID so that I could bet at a TAB. I can remember a friend took me to the Melbourne Cup when I was about 14 or 15, and that's when I started really getting into horse race betting. And from there it took off, of, I got really interested into it. And it was like, oh, I can make money rather than going to work nine to five, even though I was a teenager. Working at Woolies making a pretty good wage, it was like, well, I can use that wage and make more yeah. and more. I remember at like 16, 17 for me, I was sneaking into the TABs with my dad and things like that. He was letting me have a few bets while we're at the pub. And then I remember like, yeah, 16, 17, a lot of my thinking was just gambling. When can I get there again? When can I have my next bet? Listening to the races at home sometimes, even if I didn't even have a bet. So really starting to consume me. Were you sort of the same? Pretty much so, because I could remember, especially like yourself, it was around the 16-year-old mark that I was talking to teachers about racing during class and football and all yeah. those things. And it wasn't, you know, it's, we're going to have an economics class, we have an accounting class, but it was, are you ready for this weekend? And I could remember I did so much study on the form rather than schooling things. It was buying the winning post, the best bets, the sportsmen, preparing for the weekend. And that's what I was absorbed by. So come Thursday and Friday, I'd switch off from school and just be ready for the weekend of races rather than being switched on at school. Yeah, right. So you were so young. Did you realise at that point you maybe had a problem? Nah. Nah. So at what point? It took me a long time to realise it was an actual problem. Because even through my teenage years and into my 20s and early 30s, when I did really hit that mark of, oh, this is an issue, I was like, no, nah, I'll be right. Because I'll get out of this if I hit the jackpot. It's not a hard road. It's just that one big bang and she'll be right type of thing. So it sounds like your 20s was a period there where things started to get out of control. Can you sort of take us through maybe a typical week from getting paid to gambling to betting on the weekends? Like, how did it all look? I actually was a jockey. I was an apprentice jockey in oh, my right. younger years. And you're not supposed to bet as, an, as a jockey. And even I was like, no, 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 I can break the rules. I can push the boundaries like I always did. But my typical day generally used to be I'd wake up in the morning at 3, go to work, finish at around 10, 11, and either go to the casino or go to a TAB and gamble and then go back to work of an afternoon. And then after that, again, same procedure, go to the casino 
or go to a TAB until it's sort of, you know, late at night. Like, I wouldn't sleep much because I was so absorbed by it and just do that day in, day out. And if I wouldn't have money, it would sort of be, oh, no, I'll just try and catch up on sleep from the hours that I'd missed previously. It would just be, oh, you know, I slept for three hours for the first three days of the week. I've run out of cash. So for the next two days, I'll just go to work and sleep, work and sleep, and not socialise, like totally disconnect with the world and family and friends. Can you describe the feeling of addiction, how you felt in your body, how you felt in your mind? When I first woke up, my body would feel at ease until my eyes opened and it would almost tighten up automatically because my mind would be on, okay, do I have money? Where am I going to get money? How am I going to get the money? And with that, my whole body and even my breathing would sort of shorten up and really tighten up because I felt I needed that to start my day. Like instead of having a coffee, I needed to know where my money was so I could go and start betting. And until I knew that would sort of ease my mind and ease my body, that I I have money, I can go and have a bet. And then when I started betting, I'd almost slouch and feel comfortable. My head basically wasn't thinking too much. It was at ease of, you know, all the stresses and everyday things of, you know, work, family, anything that was going on wasn't thought about. I was just in another world of very relaxed sensations throughout my body until I knew that I was running towards the end of the money for either the day or the week or whenever it was, there would be more built-up tension through the body again, which would almost create a sense of angst and anger and it would get me really worked up to my upper body where I'm sort of clenching my fist and almost wanting to totally withdraw and curl up into a a fetal position because I knew that the time had almost come that I didn't have what I needed. Because without the gambling, it felt like I was, you know, just curled up in a ball and into a cocoon. And then sort of when I knew I had money and I could gamble again, I could sort of just sort of release and soften up and be okay. I think those were the general feelings and sensation that were going through my body on a daily basis. So when you gambled, did you gamble till you had nothing left each time? Generally, yes. Yeah, okay. I'd really, I think it, it was a real build-up. Like I could sort of get, get home with, oh, I know I still need to eat or I need petrol in the car or I need a little bit of money to get me through. But I'd always be thinking, well, payday's only two, three, four days away. I can starve myself for two or three days. I'll be fine. So can you tell us how bad did it get? It got to the extent where I was just borrowing and not even borrowing, taking and manipulating money off people saying, oh, can I borrow this, but never pay anyone back. Like I can think now, how many people actually called paying back? Wasn't many. The biggest stage was probably when my brother entrusted me with a mortgage of his. So the mortgage was under my name and I just went, well, this is mine. And I decided to transfer all that money basically into a betting account and gamble that away. Wow. Did you know your true personality? What type of person you truly were? I didn't believe that I was a bad person. I was just doing some, you know, 
um, behaving really badly. So, you know, there was a small inkling of if that behavior and the way I act got better, then I could really truly express the person that I am. You had something to work on. Yeah. Yeah. I I felt exactly the same, actually. So even when you realized that, yeah, there might be a bit of a problem here, how did that affect your life? It made me more and more isolated. So the more in-depth I knew the problem was, I would sort of isolate away from people even further and not express myself to people. Like not even with very close family and friends, I just became more and more distant because I just felt like I was just getting warped and sucked into a hole and I was too ashamed to tell anybody about it. So I was just sort of, well, I know I'm going down this road, but my ray of hope in a way was, well, if I have a big win, then I'll be right. Yep. So that was the tinkering in the mind of maybe that will solve the issue. Paul, did anyone ever directly confront you about your problem? No. Like my mother was like, well, what do I do? And it felt like that everybody sort of checked out at that time and was like, well, I don't know what to do. And I don't know who to talk to about it. So, And that's sort of how I felt in a way. So I was like, yeah, I do know I have a serious issue here, but what do I do about it? Who do I go to? Who do I turn to and speak to about it? Consciously, I felt I knew there was help out there, but I wasn't willing to actually take that step and go, well, I have a problem. I need to do something about it. I still, my, I can win the jackpot overrided that thought. Yeah. So when did you take that step? Um, So I'd come back from Hong Kong to the news that I'd lost my cousin. And just at that moment at his funeral, And being around close loved ones and family, it was very confronting to say, well, this is life and this is death. And after that, I was just having a conversation with a very close friend from high school about, you know, what are we doing? And funnily enough, his father came in. We're just talking about, you know, how life's not the greatest, this, this and that. And just sort of came about through conversation about, you know, how he... He was a gambling addict and how he ran a Gambles Anonymous meeting. And I thought, what's that? And I got very interested. And then from there, he, he was sort of really connected and said, well, if that's your case, there's a meeting on on Monday every week at Box Hill. How about you come on down and see how you go? And you went down? I thought about it, mulled over it <laughs> and went, well, what have I got to lose? Well, I've got nothing. I don't have any money anymore. So what have I got to lose here? So the gamble for me in my mind is, well, do I take this punch and try to better myself and better my life? Because I can remember on the day, that Monday evening, I was getting on the bus, then I got off the bus. Then I got on the bus, then I got off the bus. I got on, I got up, and it was continuous for about 10 steps because the bus driver gave me this horrendous look of, you know, son, what are you doing? You know, you're getting on, and I was like... Sorry, sorry, you know, I was that anxious and nervous that I was just, okay, got on, tapped on, sat right up the back so I could, you know, not be close to the door so I'd get off and said, I have to make it to that first checkpoint. And I eventually got there to the meeting and again was like, oh my God, what are people thinking? What am I doing? What am I going to talk about? Oh, I don't, I don't know any of these people. What are they? You know, there's so many thoughts were running through the mind And then I sat down and just started listening to people and didn't feel like this complete fool. 
you know, I thought I was the only idiot that did this, or I thought I had destroyed my own, I was the only one, until you hear it from others and you connect. Yeah. And it's like, wow. So I didn't feel that isolated. I didn't feel that ashamed that this was a, a platform here that I could actually speak out. And it was just, it was like a, a weight lifted off my shoulders because I'd felt so stuck in my life of, oh, where, what can I do? Where can I go? So I just kept falling back into, well, if I do get money, this is all I'm ever going to do. Yeah. I, I always remember going to see the counsellor for the first time. I think I cancelled three times before I actually saw her. So I think there's a lot of people going through that, should I, shouldn't I? I think my biggest stress if I went to like a GA or something like that would be seeing people I knew. That, mm. was, a, that was one of my fears. So I think it's really helpful just to get that perspective of what it's like, the feelings that come up before you go, and what it's actually like when you do go. So what happened next? Um, from there, it was like I was told, well, come back to the next meeting. You know, if, it, if it's helpful to you, please come back. And what I kept absorbing from it was you can recover. There is light at the end of the tunnel, and you can actually live a life without gambling. Like, I couldn't get that out of my mind. Yeah. What about that whole thinking of, I'm going to win the jackpot? Did that slowly go as well? It was still there. So yeah. it was about trying to tame that down, but it still reignited when you'd hear stories of others. You know, there was still triggers of um, trying to, you know, tell people that I do have an addiction and I do have a problem. Like, that's very confronting and quite embarrassing. But I think I gained confidence to, to speak to people outside of those four walls of a Gambles Anonymous meeting. And just sort of, and speak to my family about it and speak to other people about it, like that I knew that, no, I do have an issue and I do have a problem. So I can't do specific things. I have to protect myself. Otherwise, I will fall back into that trap. Were there relapses? There were relapses. And what I was always told was just make sure you continue, like get back to another meeting, go and see someone, go and talk to to people about it. Because as soon as I relapsed, I just thought, well, why do I bother? Why even bother? I'm no good. I'm useless. I tried. I tried really hard and it didn't work. It's not for me. But I could remember just hearing that, just no, make sure, you know, the old adage of just get back up and keep going. Yeah. So that was a huge step in moving forward. So it sounds like GA was very helpful. And yeah, you had relapses in between there. What else helped? At a GA meeting, one of the members actually gave me a card saying that I go and see a counsellor. And I thought, I don't need that. But I kept the card and held on to it for a while and was like, oh, yeah, maybe. Again, the philosophy of risk versus reward, oh, how about we pick up the phone and just call? So then I called, I organised an appointment, and I made sure I got there right on time like I'm I'm quite prompt on timing. I think it's a nice, respectful thing to do. So a lot of those values started to come back of how I was doing things and, you know, being confident in in approaching things like that. And I sort of wanted to talk about gambling with my counsellor, but she wasn't particularly, or not not interested. She sort of didn't speak about that for a while. It was more about, hi, I want to know more about you and what you're interested in and... um, and your values and your beliefs and things like that. And I was like, aren't we here for gambling? You know? Yeah. Like, I lost this much and that, and I wanted to sort of almost get that off my chest, but I felt a real strong 
deep connection about no, it's not about that. And it made me think that wow. Okay, there's a lot more to this. It's not just about the the money issue that I sort of was so absorbed and attached to. There is a deeper meaning to this. And the dots started to join. And I was like, hmm, this is a bit weird and scary, but it was so transformative in a way. Okay, you can go into those deeper parts of yourself, you know, the traumatic things that have happened in your life, and that really helped me heal a lot of my issues that I had. And that was a real eye-opener because it was so challenging and confronting. I wanted to learn more about myself and I wanted to learn about more ways to do different things in recovery. So what was life like after that? It was very empty to start with, which was quite a shock because I'd been so absorbed by it day in, day out, every minute, every hour. I was like, well, what do I do? How do you fill your days? I was sitting here yeah. twiddling my thumbs, having 30, 40-minute showers. Like, you know, well, that's taken up some time of the day. Mate, you're in here for inspiring stories. What's the best thing about not gambling? Just living and being present. I suppose we always put such a emphasis on life that we have to be doing so many things that just living and being present and sensory to everything and connection was the biggest thing. Having connection with family and friends and others. Realising that you're not alone in your journey was a big thing about not gambling because gambling made me feel very isolated. I think freedom is probably the word that comes to mind. Just freedom that you do have choice to do whatever you want. If you could name one helpful hint for people trying to change their gambling behaviour, what would it be? It's, it's find the form of expression, whether it's speaking to somebody about it. That's the greatest first step. Just tell one person that you feel safe and secure with and sort of push forward from there. That could come in the means of family, friends or professional help? Yes. Yep. And trying to find a way to move forward because when you're in any cycle of addiction, you're just going around that mouse wheel round and round and round again and you're going to have the same result day in, day out. You know, that's what insanity is, trying to do the same thing, hoping for a different outcome. Paul, thanks very much for joining us on Not A Dollar More and good luck for the future. Thank you. You're listening to Not A Dollar More, and in this episode, we're hearing from two people about the inspiring ways they managed to free themselves from their gambling addiction. So next up, we have Connie, who will share her story of what it's like to be addicted to the pokies. Welcome, Connie. Can you tell us about how your gambling on the pokies got started? I started a very long time ago. I was 17 and I got married, and that was back in the day when there was no gambling in Victoria at all, not even bingo. And... I don't know why, but the thrill of gambling always enticed me. I, I, th- I had a lot of um, family members who played the horses and won money, and, of course, all they told me was that they won. So when the bus trips to New South Wales, um, when I found out about them and that you could go to the pokies, I was all on board for that, not a problem. That's what started me. Yeah, so yeah. like a lot of people start socially. 
Yeah, that's true. They were very social. They were enjoyable to go on too, yeah. So at no point during those times did you feel addicted to the poker machine? I didn't feel addicted, no. Okay. I found out later on, when you look back on it, you realise, you know. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even want to go to lunch because I thought someone would take my machine, so. Right, so that could have been a sign just there. Definitely, yes. So when the machines came to Victoria, you obviously played more? Yes, yes. We couldn't see anything wrong with that. And boy, were we mistaken about that. So what did you like about them? I think the first thing that you notice is the excitement in the bright lights and the noises that they made. And that attracts you to them to start with, yeah. So the pokies come to Victoria. I'm assuming you start to get a bit more addicted to them. I was already addicted. You're already addicted. So what was life like when you're starting out with this addiction? It was a big secret. My family didn't know. And it was during the day when no one was home, so I could go without anybody finding out. And I always made sure that I was home before anybody got home themselves. So 20-odd years ago when you're addicted to the pokies and people are starting to find out, 20 years ago, what was that like? Back then, it yeah. was it was shameful. There, there was shame attached to going to the pokies because you were spending money that you should have spent on other things. And you hid it from everybody except for the people that were going there as well. If I went there five days a week and there was someone else going five days a week, I knew they had the same problem as me and I knew that they didn't want anyone to find out about it either. So there was a lot of shame attached to it. But you didn't know why. Is it because people actually didn't think that you could be addicted to the pokies? No, I didn't think I was addicted. Right. That was the furthest thing from my mind. I knew there was shame, and, but I just I thought it had to do with the money. I didn't think it had to do with an addiction. So is the shame a bit like, like you felt silly? Yes, yeah. I mean, if Because people thought, don't understand, do they? No, no. No. People would come up to you, and, you know, after they found out and say, well, why didn't you just stop? They have no idea. You can't stop. There is no way that you can stop unless you know a little bit more information about the pokies. So you played on your own, yeah. which a lot of people do. What was the reason for going? So I used to go to the pokies because I didn't like my life. So you'd be hiding from that, escaping more. The better word is escaping. Because when you're in front of that machine, there's nothing. Nothing in the world, absolutely nothing except that machine in front of you and how you can win some money out of it. What was the point where you realised you had a problem? The first time I think I did it on my own, um, I'd realised that there was something wrong because I was going to the pokies every time I had money automatically. I can't go to the pokies unless I had $50 or more, so it was payday. And I can't stay at the pokies for half an hour. That wasn't enough time for me. I needed to escape for a couple of hours. Yeah. So before then, was there denial? That I had a problem? Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. My daughters confronted me and I used to borrow money off them when when the oldest one was working. And if she wouldn't give it to me because she said, you know, you'd only put it in the pokies, I'd get angry because she wouldn't give me the money. And I... And my poor kids, they suffered so much when I was in the pokies. So when you realised you had a problem, how long did it take for you then to try and stop? I went to a counsellor straight away. I was making great headway there. I was starting to realise why I was gambling. And she got promoted. And 
I was assigned someone else and I didn't click with this other person, so I stopped. I stopped going to the counsellor and went straight back to gambling and gambled even worse than what I was before the counselling. So that was an excuse you played in your head that that counsellor had stopped. Now the new yes, one's no good, yeah. so, you know, stuff I can't out. get help, so I may as well go back to gambling. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Connie, could you take us through, like, a typical day? So a typical day of being yeah. addicted to the yeah. pokies, you know, can you paint sort of like a picture for us? Okay. I would get up half an hour before I had to go to work and on the way to work I would actually pass the venue where I gambled. So straight away you'd get a thought of going gambling, but I needed the money so I'd go to work. At work, interestingly enough, there was particular noises that made me think of gambling. I was in a factory so one of the noises was the forklift lifting up a pallet. Mm -hmm. For some reason that triggered pokies in my head straight away. So then you'd be thinking, oh, okay, that's good. I can go gambling after work. Sometimes I would think, what excuse can I give to get out of work so that I can go right now? But um, that didn't happen too often. But definitely while you're at work, you're sitting there thinking, oh, how am I going to go? I have to be in a good mood because if I'm in a good mood, I can win money. I have to get my particular car park because I've won when I've been in that car park. So I have to go back there again. So, what about a typical day if you had no money? Oh, like the thoughts, you know. I was very good at finding money. Okay, <laughs> I was very good at finding money. I opened up a credit card for five thousand dollars, and that was my extra money to go gamble when I had no money left in my purse. But that soon dried up too. I mean, it doesn't take long to get to five thousand dollars. If I didn't have any money at all. I think I would be in a really foul mood sometimes because all you wanted to do was go. So that's at work. What about after work? After work was straight to the pokies because I knew my kids were home and they were okay. They were old enough to look after themselves. So then while I was gambling, I'd have to think of an excuse about why I wasn't home straight away. It became a ritual on Thursdays when I got paid the car went automatically to the bank to get get my pay and then automatically, and sometimes I'd get to the venue and wouldn't even know how I got there, mm. the car just. And I told my husband that I was going to the pokies and spending $50 every payday, which was once a week at least. Yeah. So I'm assuming you lost most times. God, yes. Yes. <laughs> what was it like leaving the venue? That was the bad part, yes. As soon as you got out the door... There was a lot of regret there. There was a lot of shame there. There was a lot of sorrow there. I don't know how many times I sat in my car and started crying um, because I'd lost some money. And then I would go home and you'd walk in the door and a smile would have to go on your face because you didn't want anybody to know. So you're walking in all happy and saying, oh, I went and got some shopping because I'd used the credit card to get the shopping too. And I'd always make sure that I had some shopping bags and, yeah. you know, you go in and be all happy and smiles and start cooking dinner or whatever. Yeah, I can always remember leaving the venue thinking how stupid yeah. I was. Yeah. And, um, Scrounging around for that last 20 cents so that you could make that last dollar for the – just so that you could get the free spins. Yeah. Hmm. So how difficult was it to stop? It took me two years to stop. I went to a group called Getting Even. 
which was when I started, was a six-week course. And there was a group of us that everybody told their stories and I realised the one thing that I was very glad about, that it could have got so much worse and it didn't. I decided to stop before that. So this was the second time I stopped. Yeah. So being able to share that at Getting Even was helpful? Sharing those experiences, listening to other people's stories, fantastic. The best thing I ever did. Yeah. What was the most helpful thing you think during that time? The counsellor gave us more information okay. um, about the pokies and he retrained our brain to think instead of going to the pokies, trained our brain to move away from that and start living life again. Can you tell us about how hard it was to stop? That was the most difficult thing that I've ever had to do. I went to getting even, but as soon as you left the meeting, the first thought that entered your head, oh, where's the pokey venue? I'll go and gamble again. And it took all all the courage that you had, every bit of willpower to not go and do that. And knowing that the next week I had another meeting and I could do this all over again. Every week that I went was a little bit easier to not give in to those urges to go and gamble. Even driving down the street, you know, seeing a venue, it was so hard not to pull over because nobody would know me in that venue to pull over mm-hmm. and, and gamble. And one of the things that I did to stop gambling was instead of driving into the venue, which was my normal habit, I would drive past that venue because I had to go past the venue to go to work every day. I kept driving past the venue and driving past the venue until eventually that venue was nothing but a building to me. And I had to make sure that I did drive past because it was so easy to just turn back into it. And the more you drove past, the more easier it was to to look at it and see only a building and not a venue anymore. Yeah. So over that two years, you felt like you were getting closer each time? Yeah. 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 So what's life like for you now? (laughs) <laughs> Gamble free. Uh, okay, nice. Nicer than what it was. I mean, I have other difficulties in my life without the gambling. So, But as far as not being able to gamble, it's fantastic. I don't even think about it anymore. I remember the best thing for me was just being able to go to the supermarket and actually buying whatever I wanted. Having money in my purse. Yeah. The first thing I used to do was go to the $2 shop. Yep. I didn't want anything in there, but I could buy whatever I wanted because I had money in my purse. Yeah. Yep. So going through the whole journey from being a gambler to helping gamblers, what types of things have you learnt on the journey? I've learnt that you're never going to win with the pokies, that there are people out there that are actually designing the pokies so that you will get addicted the music they design, the the noises they design, the fact that you get these lovely little songs when you win, even if you only win 20 cents, mm. you know, it, it makes you feel good even though you've lost $5. <laughs> Losses disguised as wins. Very yeah. bad, very bad. Yeah. 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 So Fabulous. there's people out there, they're still gambling. You know, what, what piece of advice have you got for them? If you're going gambling and... whatever, isn't enough for you and you're not happy with being there for just half an hour, that is a sign that there is a problem there. And the best thing you can go and do is get help. And 
for me, the best place was gambler's help. Talking to counsellors, talking to other people helped a lot. From the people that we've interviewed, you know, gambling alone seems like a big one. Yeah, gambling alone is different. Because gambling with your friends, you're very restricted on how Mm. much money you can put in. So you go gambling alone so that you can put whatever you want. That's right. And nobody knows. Nobody knows. Connie, thanks very much for joining us today. You're welcome. It was enjoyable. Great. Two really powerful stories of hope and recovery there. It just goes to show, irrespective of how caught up you are in your gambling addiction, it is possible to find your way out the other side into a gamble-free life. Thanks again to Paul and Connie for sharing their stories. You can find a number of our links on our website, notadollarmore.org.au, for extra resources and help numbers for across the country. A good place to start is Gambler's Help Number, which is 1-800-858-858 where you can get free and confidential advice on getting help. This podcast has been produced by Vanuel Community Health. My name is Shane Rogers. Check out all the other episodes for more stories of problem gambling, recovery, and ways to make changes to get help. Bye for now.